I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for TGIF, August 19th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So first of all, Jay, you were missed yesterday. We celebrated our anniversary. I guess we'll re-celebrate it today, but it's been it's been a great year, and I'm looking forward to the next year. Me, me as well, but how do you know I wasn't celebrating without you? Well, yeah, that would be in, in typical Jay fashion to celebrate without me. I never get invited <laughs> to Jay's things, by the way. So, but Jay, to get back to the content, which is what the PayPal's came for. So I, I found an interesting fact of the day. 26% of Gen Z Canadians who have taken on additional debt in 2022, they did that to afford the cost of living increases, according to a new report from Finder. Now, what are your initial thoughts on that, Jay? That's uh, a lot of people taking on a lot of money to... A- afford the cost of living. That's what my first take is. What about you? Yeah, same thing. You know, it's the inflation hole discussion has been interesting. You know, we've kind of monitored and tracked it as it's gone up. And now you're really beginning to see the impact that it's having, which is people taking out more debt, cutting back on their spending. It's pretty easy to see how high inflation can lead to a recession just in that pullback of financing or that increase in debt. And guess what? That debt's going to become increasingly expensive as interest rates go up. And so I just, you know, I'm always worried. We talk about this on the pod a lot, that there might be a bit of a perfect storm here. But who knows? It's impossible to predict the economy these days. There's too much going on. There is. And then the low unemployment is also vexing as well. So it really is a challenging totally. time to be an economist, but a pretty good time to be a podcast host. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think. It's podcast only been around for what ten years. I think we're in the golden era of podcasting, Jay. I think we're on the we're on the vanguard of it. And yeah, I'm look. That's I, I love. That's a, that's why you're on the podcast, Jay. It's that silver lining attitude, that optimism that you bring, which is what we'd be missing without you. <laughs> Fair enough. Aside from my optimism, what do we have for Peak Bells today? Well, we got a great basket of stories for the Peak Pals today, Jay. For our first story, Alberta's missing out on the gas boom. For our second story, homeowners in China are boycotting their mortgage payments, which may happen here if those Gen Z, if that interest rate goes up. And for our last story, Canadian VC funding is coming back down to earth. Well, let me just say, I'd rather have a basket of great stories than a basket of deplorables. But aside from that, our first story, Brett, global natural gas prices have soared this year. But producers in Alberta have been unable to capitalize on the boom to the tune of billions of dollars in lost revenue. Brett, why and how is Alberta missing out? Well, here's the thing. Alberta's natural gas, it's kind of stuck. So Canada's pipeline capacity and transport networks have been maxed out, restricting flows to the global market. According to Martin King, who's a senior analyst at RBN Energy, the price discrepancy alone may have cost Canada's energy industry more than $2 billion in July and August alone. Not to be confused with Reverend Martin Luther King. Now, like, this is why it all matters. The cyclical and volatile nature of the energy industry means Canada's producers can't afford to sit on the sidelines when demand soars and prices hit record highs. But it's not going that bad. Canadian oil companies have seen profits surge in recent months. Synovus, Imperial Oil, Canadian Natural, and Suncor all posted jaw-dropping earnings numbers, Brett. So for now, the extreme price disparity will likely continue into September with King telling Daily Oil Bulletin, that's one of my favorite publications, I I read it every month, that the market remains, quote unquote, incredibly pessimistic. So it's something to keep your eyes on, Jay. Yeah, it's not a great podcast, but it is a good publication. For our second story, don't get any ideas, but homeowners in China are boycotting their mortgage payments. Jay, what's going on in China? Well, here's what's happening. Hundreds of thousands of homeowners across 100 cities are banding together and refusing to pay loans on unfinished apartments. This, according to the New York Times. This is a complicated Japanese name, and so I'm going to try my best to say it. Daisuke 
Wakabayashi, writes, it's one of the most widespread acts of public defiance in a country where even minor protests are quelled. Well, the Red Sox used to have a pitcher, Daisuke Machizaka. And so I think oh, wow. it might be Daisuke, but that's I also exactly what it, I, I, I think that's what it is. There you go. So Daisuke. By some estimates, the boycotts could affect $222 billion of home loans in China, or roughly 4% of all outstanding mortgages. The country's economy is already hurting so much that the central bank cut its interest rate earlier this week. Now, you might be wondering how we kind of got here. So for years, homeowners were willing to pay mortgages on properties that didn't exist since the expectation was that property values only went up. Sounds pretty familiar, Jay. It certainly does. But developers would then borrow huge sums to build these homes, and the market started heating up fast. By 2020, the government had cracked down on this type of loans. Now, firms that relied on easy access to funds couldn't keep construction going. Large property developers like, and we've talked about them a lot on the podcast, Jay Evergrande, a real blast from the past, they fell into default, which impacted the whole industry. And I'd actually have to check my notes, but we might have talked about Evergrande on our first ever podcast a year ago. But yeah, one fine I think we did. But one finance professor told the New York Times that even if Chinese authorities were to give developers enough capital to finish the homes, they're still wildly overvalued. Now, it's important to look at the big picture here. As China trends towards its slowest growth rate in decades, the country has some big, big problems to fix. Beyond the property crisis, consumers aren't spending enough companies aren't selling enough, and the youth unemployment rate has reached new highs. And for our last story on this Friday, after a high ride throughout the pandemic, venture capital or VC funding for Canadian companies has fallen and it's come back down to earth. Now, let's get you caught up here. In 2020, low interest rates mixed up with the heyday of technology resulted in VC firms pouring record-setting amounts into Canadian startups. $14.2 billion last year alone. Last quarter, Canadian startups raised $1.65 billion in funding, down 67% for the quarter before and 76% year-over-year down. But the number has pretty much, it's close to 2019 levels now, Brett. Yeah, that's what's happening a lot. Same thing with the housing market. Housing prices go down, but it's still more than before the pandemic. Now, the global tech market downturn, aggressive interest rate hikes, and newly risk-averse investors are all factors contributing to the slowdown. Absolutely. Late-stage companies looking for a final push before going public, and those in biotech and fintech sectors were the ones most affected by the decreased funding. Now, it wasn't all doom and gloom, though. Startups in their earliest stages still saw a record number of investments as some investors fled to smaller gambles with less exposure and smaller check sizes. Well, this is perfect for me. There's also optimism. There, yeah, we're at it again about investments in clean tech companies, which could reach the same levels as seen in 2021 by the end of this year. Jay, I'm going to call you the COO, the chief optimism officer. I like it. As the VC space normalizes, investors are starting to determine how it factors into valuations, meaning emerging Canadian companies might have to brace for potentially smaller paydays. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, here's to year two. Here's to year two, Jay. Bye.